Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Generic Podcast, where we talk about everything horror, sci-fi, and sometimes fantasy. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Generic Podcast. I had a really cool opportunity to check out a new novel that just dropped at the end of August. It's 16 space horror sci-fi stories. The title, The Darkness Beyond the Stars. It's an anthology of space horror. It is edited by P.L. McMillan and has a foreword from David Wellington. One thing that's pretty cool is I've, so I've, I've seen some of the different books that David Wellington has put out over the years, um, but I actually I haven't really picked any of them up. You know, I, I have that kind of like book buyer problem where um, there's a bunch of books that I need to get to and then I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll pick up some other books. So I have a whole bunch of books here uh, that are just staring at me angrily because I keep getting other books. But uh, after I had uh, this, after I, I did this episode here, I went ahead and picked up the 2023 release, Paradise One, and I'm super excited about that. And uh, I'm going to be reading that in the coming weeks. Um, we have a return guest on the show for today, P.L. McMillan. You may know her from her work, Sisters of the Crimson Vine, and What Remains When the Stars Burn Out. She also has stories and confirmed sightings, a triple cryptid creature feature, all real 90s, and a host of other sci-fi and horror anthologies. I had quite a bit of fun chatting it up with these two, and we talked about a lot of different things in the uh, space horror realm. So if you're a fan of horror that is uh, also in space, then uh, you're going to want to check this out. You're going to want to pick up the novel that we're going to be talking about. And again, the name of that novel is, or collection, uh, anthology, whichever you want to go by, is The Darkness Beyond the Stars, and you can pick it up from Salt Heart Press. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Generic Podcast. We have a really cool episode for y'all today. We have two guests on today. Plem, who has been on the show before. You should check out all of her work. Um, and we're going to be discussing one of the releases uh, that y'all can check out. It's available right now from Salt Heart Press. It's The Darkness Beyond the Stars, an anthology of space horror. And we also have David Wellington, which has a, he, he's got a whole bunch of different stories out, a couple cool books and everything. So welcome y'all. And David, glad to have you on the show. How you doing now? Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is, this is gonna, I always love doing podcasts like this. Any chance to talk about books, I will take. Like literally, somebody walks up to me on a street corner and says, do you have an opinion about Stephen King? <laughs> there for like an hour. So I am thrilled to be here. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Now, how are you doing today, Plum? Doing pretty good. Happy it's a long weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <Yay>. Right. <laughs> and my in my day job, we I don't I don't get those days off. So. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I always forget. Um. So so David, tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, writing and and the different genres that you work in. Sure. So I was a science fiction fan growing up. Um. I'm a lot older than I sound. I uh, in 1977 I saw Star Wars, like the original <laughs> Star Wars, and it just like blew my mind, blew my little mind, and I couldn't get enough. But at the time there was like no, there was no more Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You watch it 25 times in the theater. <laughs> there weren't any sequels. There wasn't any additional media. There weren't any books for a while. And I was just devastated. I was like, I need more Star Wars. So I ended up going to the local public library and found the science fiction section. And I picked up the first book, which was Asimov. And I didn't stop until I got to the last one, which was Zelazny. Yeah, I was hooked from that point on. And I immediately thought to myself, hey, I can do better than this, which was totally wrong. I was reading these incredible classics and I was like, these aren't enough like Star Wars. I can do better than this. So I started writing myself at the age of six. I was not any good for quite a while and uh, kept writing, you know, forever. And then in 2003, I had a friend who had a blog that he didn't want anymore. And so he said, you have a book. Why don't you just put your book on my blog? What are you talking about? And he said, put up a new chapter every couple days and that became Monster Island which is my first published novel which was a zombie story and it did really well I got a book deal out of it and I've been working as a professional writer ever since nice that's always that's always kind of like a fun thing right it's like uh, looking when you when I guess when you're old enough right because I I feel like I I was born like right at that age where it was like right before the big boom of the internet you know so it's like it's it's fun to kind of look back and still be in, in that category where it's just like I wish there was more of said topic, <laughs> but you know it's either hard to find because you didn't have the internet, so it's like even if there is, you don't know unless like the the inner library loans, you know, <laughs> so you have to go through and scour what's out there and everything, and um, you know then you're like going through the library Dewey Decimal System and trying to find everything and. Now that the internet is out there, yeah, like uh, Star Wars stuff is abundant. 
Uh, people do not understand just how boring the 20th century was. Like, I'm not kidding. I saw Star Wars in the theaters probably 25 times. It eventually stopped playing in the theater. Yeah. And that was it. There was no VCR tape. There was nothing. So when the Star Wars Holiday Special came out, which is widely considered <laughs> the worst piece of Star Wars culture ever made, I sat there wide-eyed and drooling through the whole thing. I watched Chewbacca's grandfather curving out over a human <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I didn't care. I was so into it. Was it there was like another there was another one that came out it was like the two the two kids who like crash landed and they were like trying to find their parents and there was like a giant troll. I think like it's in the same universe as Willow or something like that, but I can't remember what the name of it was called. I think maybe that's what it was because I believe there were Ewoks in it. And they, yeah, there was because there was the giant spider that they had to put asleep. And I think that was like in the giant slayer. So, but I mean, that, that era was kind of cool though because it's like you couldn't, you couldn't like go and onto like a streaming service and be like, I'm going to watch all these, these extended universes or anything. But you also had, I, I feel like that time, right? Because so many people wanted more of it. Um, you had that time where it's like, there's a lot of cool sci-fi coming out. There's a lot of cool um, sci-fi horror coming out. Like you had Alien and Terminator mm -hmm. um, and all these other kinds of things that were dealing with like space exploration and all the different kinds of things that could go wrong. And of course, then you had um, things like The Thing. Uh, and then you had super cheesy movies that tried to like run off of that either nostalgia or just the, the not so much the, the, the motivation, but just like the, the same kind of aesthetic. So I, I don't know if either of you have ever seen the movie Creature. <laughs> sure. That's a that's a pretty terrible film. Uh, and then there, there's uh, Dead Space as well. Not the, the from the video game franchise, but way before that, there's this other movie called Dead Space and they're both clearly alien knockoffs, but they have uh, like Dead Space in particular, it's like this giant animatronic creature and it kind of just you know does the whole kind of like what do you expect from like a halloween decoration on, on somebody's front lawn where it just has like very limited animatronics and there uh, are yeah there are so many bad <laughs> ripoff knockoffs homages whatever you want to call them and so much of science fiction horror is just devoted to this idea of like remaking Alien again and again when it's already perfect. You don't need to remake Alien. Mm -hmm. The polls kind of prove that to a lesser and greater degree. But, uh, you know, what was so amazing about this anthology was that so many of the authors, when asked for science fiction horror, didn't go to that well. They went completely different directions, just like right angles to Alien, and we got some just incredible stories out of this. I love this book. With the with the with the book and the and the way that it's come together, um, like I said, anybody who hasn't checked it out yet, you can check it out on Salt Heart Press. Um, yeah, to but, to do a little intro though, yeah. since I don't know if your listeners know about it, but um, The Darkness Beyond the Stars is an anthology of space horror. It came out August 31st, uh, edited by me, P.L. McMillan. 
forward by David Wellington. He was kind enough. I like cold emailed him and I was like, I'm the hugest fan. Won't you write my forward? (laughs) (laughs) And he was kind enough to say yes. Um, But there's 15 stories. Um, When I was writing up um, like the rules for submission, literally all I said was like, it cannot be said on earth. Like it could be around earth. It could mention earth, but I want like everything in space. That was my only rule. So none of the stories were said on Earth, although some of them may mention it or be around Earth, like in the space station. And each story has its own custom illustration as well. So, and a killer cover. So very exciting. All the cover art for each story is is very well done, I think. I mean, I I can't really draw much anymore. You know, I can draw some, some pretty impressive stick figures with like the cool backgrounds and stuff, or maybe some creatures or something, but um, I like how you, it, in each different illustration, it kind of just gives you a, a better idea of what's going on in the story. Um, which for and somebody the- like me who reads very slow and is, is, is <laughs> very, tra- is trapped for a very long time in, in each story, um, having those breaks and then having something to kind of jumpstart my imagination with each story is, is a really nice relief. <laughs> when reading uh, such a such a vast anthology here. And David, I know the version I sent you didn't have the art because I hadn't finished it yet, but <laughs> your your paper co- your paperback copy is on its way so you can check it out. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like David was saying, I think, uh, yeah, none of the stories really fall into that trap. They're all very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It was super exciting because I know some of the authors had mentioned that this was the first time they'd written space horror and to see how they like like spun it. Um, for example, The Weight of Faith by Carson Winter, I feel like is a is a really weird story mm-hmm. and it looks at what might happen like when people kind of are out in space making their own religions, like what they might read. Mm-hmm. Uh, worship and how that might affect them and in this case they're worshiping gravity which i thought was such a unique take and then there's other stories that are like corporate horror like having to work on a large colony ship like uh the faceless by ryan marie ketterer (laughs) (laughs) being stuck with a bad job and then something horrible happens on top of it in the hostile environment of space so they all have their own unique takes on what space horror means to them so i think it's a really great collection and a very varied collection the it's funny you mentioned the way of faith because i literally just reread that like yesterday because <laughs> <laughs> i was like I, I remembered it and i was wait is that was that as weird as i thought it was and yes yes it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> creepy as hell while not being explicitly horrible in any kind of real way there's just like an atmosphere of, well in one way but yeah. But there's like this, this atmosphere in that story that I just, I could not breathe while reading it. And I just, I don't know how, I, how they pulled that off. The, yeah, some of the stories in this book just blew my mind. Uh, the, what was it, the Vela? Uh, the the uh, Vela Remnant? Vela Remnant, yeah. I have the table of contents right here. Yeah, on the that's by David Warren. Yes, that one is a mind trip. I won't, I won't swear on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, that one messed with my head. But the, the one 
that I keep coming back to and I keep thinking about like what a brilliant piece of fiction this is, not even like just space war, but just fiction is the last story in the collection, which also has the longest title. Yes. <laughs> the last transmission from the FedCom Sargasso. Uh, so That's by is, Bridget DeBrave. Thank you. Is yeah. It's just so well crafted. Now, I'm old, like I said, and I famously do not like second-person narratives. I find them really contrived sometimes. That being said, there are a bunch of them in this book. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> this one, though, absolutely owns it. It uses this this thing that I normally find so off-putting, but it uses it to be off-putting in a good way. Like, it, 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 it's so... Right from the start, you are just put off your balance by this and you cannot get back on that balance this story ends up being hilarious and terrifying <laughs> without going back it's not like it's going back and forth it's not like those are six separate sections of the story it's the same time yeah you're laughing and then you're like Ugh. <laughs> it's just yeah it, it's amazing yeah so i i mean I feel like every single one of these stories, and this is this is one of the reasons why I love, you know, short story collections and anthologies that are set in a certain theme, even though it's like loosely based, you know, it's like it's all space and everything. But you get some very interesting strings of thought here. Before I jump into the last transmission from the FedCom Saragossa, I, I think the one of the ones that really got the wheels turning for me was The Weight of Faith by Carson Winner. And when I was reading it, I remember I was taking a uh, anthropology class and we had to do a, a paper that was like, well, what would you do if it was a fiction setting and you were an anthropologist? Like, what would be your area of study if you could do anything you wanted to? And uh, I came out of left field because I was like, I, th I think I was like, the one of the only two uh, writers that was in the class at the time. And so I was like, well, I would want to do xenoanthropology. And going into this story, what I thought was pretty interesting was how these people uh, on this planet are impacted by the lack of gravity. And uh, when I was in the class, I was talking about how when you go to different planets and you know if you're thinking about human evolution and how people are going to adapt will they adapt over time to these different environments and in this one they kind of failed to do that and you know there's certain fallouts that happen within this story and uh one of the big things that kind of reminded me of, of something else another bit of, of horror and uh, science fiction that I enjoy is uh, the Dead Space franchise. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that, but where they have like the giant spire and that's what they start to worship. But the spire is like, you know, starts controlling everyone's minds and they're just like, oh yes, like this is the way. <laughs> and then, you know, then you have a, a whole ship that's full of um, undead mutated creatures going around and, and getting everybody which which I thought was pretty fun but I think that's that's one of the like, the biggest things that I like about these kinds of um, stories because it's like you get the 
you get the the different perspectives that people have about um, space and you know what can go wrong and a lot of times it's it comes from something that is very natural you know to us it's either a a, a place where you're you're working and you're very familiar with your surroundings and then the space element comes in where it's like oh yeah well we're, we're also telling some creepy sci-fi horror stories and uh you know it's it it's not going to be what you expect um so i thought that was pretty cool and then yeah in the in the last uh transmission from fedcom saragoso uh i really love that one because yeah like you said you know it, it's comical in the sense that you know there is a directive that you have to take and a lot of the times when we don't know you know what the consequence is going to be even though everyone else is like no no man you got to do this like we we need you to do this and you're just like nope i don't know what's going to happen like until you tell me so i i thought that was a, a pretty nice touch there but what, what about you two what are, what are some like the the ones that like really stood out to you i mean obviously those two but well speaking first in a broad sense about just space war in general um the reason i love it so much is because it's like space is pretty much unexplored territory and a writer can pretty much make of it what they want like if you look at the 15 stories like some people stayed closer to home there's some on the space station um red rovers is set on mars and so it's a bit more i guess like so, something within sight, whereas like other people went like completely away, um, you know, like the weight of faith is set on like an unknown planet in a future where people are already colonizing places or like ships. I just feel like what, like the reason I made, I wanted to make this anthology was because I love space horror so much and there's not a lot out there. Also, listeners, if you haven't, David Wellington's books, The Last Astronaut and Paradise One, definitely read it if you need more space horror. Absolutely love those books. Um, also, both have strong female protagonists with <laughs> anyone who knows me knows I love those too. Um, but so that was the main reason that I was like, I need to start this anthology. Uh, it was really just a selfish reason because I wanted more space horror. Um, <laughs> And that's what made it so fun to see what people came up with. So like, I'll, I'm going to go into some of the stories which haven't been mentioned yet. So there's like Spacewalk, um, where um, somebody goes out to do some routine thing and then feels something in their suit. You know, how horrifying would that be? Like, what are you going to do at that point? Um, again, Red Rovers is about, uh, by Patrick Barb, is about... Um, this tech, the selfish tech billionaire going on this like pleasure trip to <laughs> Mars and then like horrific things happening. Um, so it's just really fun um, to see like what people can take away from just the vastness of space. Like, cause I've always said that space horror is very similar to, you know, like ocean horror. And the only difference is like the ocean is very like finite you know in the end like we might eventually explore all of it like and then you know you can make up some things but it's a bit more restrictive versus like space horror can be on a ship a planet like anything like that um 
I don't know. I've always, <laughs> I was like obsessed with Alien as a kid. Um, Event Horizon's another good movie. Um, Pandorum. What's the one with uh, Jupiter's Moon? Oh, was that um, the one where they're on the space expedition when they find the creature at the end, right? Well, like... don't spoil it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's like it's like uh, found footage, and they're like exploring um, the moon of Jupiter. Or, the yeah, the Europa moon. report. Yeah, Europa report. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, like I love. I just eat these up. Um, so I feel like if you're a fan of those types of movies this anthology is for you um i feel like it covers the whole gambit really 100 <laughs> percent agree and i want to say another one of the stories i want to mention is called the trocophore yeah and rachel cersei thank you i got to hear a bit of it in the the launch party that much of the authors did readings and it's always so cool to hear an author read their own work and and hear what is important to them and like what part of the story you know really meant something to them because you can hear it in their voice and this one i i it, it's it's a story about a bunch of space marines sent to recover an alien oldest story in the book right uh you know this is this is the definition of space horror in the in the dictionary right and at first I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's, you know, it's an alien story. It's, it's good, but it's, it's an alien story. And then hearing it read, I went back and looked at it again. I was like, no, what's really interesting about this story is it's about the Marines. It's not even really about the alien. <laughs> it's about these people who have this ridiculously dangerous job. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid that anybody would ever sign up for this. And they have to just go in and they're like, they have no idea what they're going to see. They have no idea if it has acid blood or claws or fangs or whatever else. And they're just like, yeah, it's Tuesday. Got to go uh, dig an alien out of a cargo pod <laughs> and bring it back for the corporation. <laughs> and on a second read, I was just blown away by like, how cool, how cool an idea is that? I want to see that turn into a novel. Yeah. Hear that, Rachel? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, start start sending the the preliminary uh, query letters out for that one. Yep. <laughs> some, yeah, some of the stories in this book that were had like the simplest ideas turned out to be like the most fun. Like I really dug uh, Red Rovers because yeah. it has this you know space trillionaire thing going on, but it's also got like the title kind of gives it away that there are uh, you know Mars rovers involved. And I have just such a soft spot in my heart for the Mars rovers. I used to follow them all on their Twitter accounts. And like when they would run out <laughs> of power, they would, you know, if when one of them would run out of battery power, they would tweet out, this will be my last tweet from the red. Oh, <laughs> so sad. I'm just neat, you know, just like, so seeing them in a horror context was, just, it was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it just, I, I, the sheer number of different directions these authors went, I think, is what makes this collection so strong. Is you never know from one story to another what you're going to get, and and you always just find something rewarding in every one of these stories. Yeah. And I think this is one of the more fascinating things about, especially once you get into to sci-fi horror, is that each story, I feel more so than others, when you're when you're well. In the, in the context of the way that this one is set up where nothing takes place on, on Earth, which is always a fresh uh, take on things, uh, is each one of these, 
is is basically it feels like you're you're on a different planet for each one of these and then it's just like you start to think well it's like well with how vast everything is it's like are these stories connected could they be connected it's like you never know uh but with all the different things that it it gives you it's like you can always spawn more stories off of them which is really cool and uh some of the things that it can do is kind of make you think about some of the things that you've always wondered about um, when you think about space and one of the things that i have thought about since i was really young was looking the, the way that we look for life is always uh, carbon based and everything's always got to be carbon based um, and when i was reading uh spacewalk uh there's something that happens in particular in this story where it made me wonder is what's in this story is it a carbon-based life form is it something of, of the imagination or is it something else entirely like because you don't you don't really know and it's just like well it, it could be maybe that it, it, there is something there but it's so foreign to our way of conceptualizing what life is that we're just completely unaware that there's something else out there because we can't perceive it and there's a few other stories in the, in the, the anthology as well that do the same thing so that was pretty cool like alien that's like a key feature in space horrors like is there life out there so yeah the space walk maybe i mean you don't really know considering um uh another crazy one is the scream which is by timothy lands Lons. i hope i said your name right timothy i'm sorry but it's about like that one has like a huge lore base to it considering it's a short story but like there's a psychic war and like this weird like infection and like crazy things like that there's also some plant horror in here the the second contender for the longest title planted in the soil of another world uh, another world by dana vickerson it's about like colonists just trying to make a living on a new planet and then the the flora is uh acting a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting, <clears throat> Blim, you mentioned that one of the reasons we wanted to do this was there's so little space horror out there, mm -hmm. um, specifically in the literary sphere, and um, by which I just mean books. Uh, <laughs> got long-winded there for a second. Um, the, But it's just like, it, when, I, when I started writing uh, Last Astronaut, and I thought, oh, what if like Rendezvous with Rama was a horror story? It didn't really strike me that there is like this clear delineation between the two. Like, I think a lot of sci like so what we think of as just straight science fiction stories are horror stories. Mm -hmm. There are so many science fiction stories about the end of the world. There are so many science fiction stories about, you know, a dystopian future. And we don't think of those as horror for some reason, even though they're doing exactly the same work as, say, a Stephen King novel. And certainly Stephen King has like, ventured into science fiction on his own many times it's just th th there is this like there's a borderland between the two genres that i think is just so fertile for storytelling because we are all secretly terrified of the future yeah. <laughs> you know, especially now like i this is something i've watched in my many years on earth i'm 52 by the way i keep saying how old i am like, I'm, <laughs> I'm 52 but yeah like starting in the 1970s way back in the 1970s lost era 
I think people have gotten more and more concerned with the end of the world since I was a kid. Um, and whatever that may mean, like whether that's climate change or an AI takeover or who knows what. But it's always science fiction that addresses these things in a way that I think a lot of mass culture just can't. Like politicians are not going to talk to talk to you about an AI apocalypse. Uh, you know, you're not going to hear it on the, on the nightly news other than like, you know, some talking head really off 30 seconds of, oh, well, we should be concerned about this. It's science fiction lets you explore it. Yeah. And it is, you know, that sort of like, what if, you know, imagination behind science fiction that lets you actually get into, oh, what would it be like if AI took over? Would it be like Ian Banks's culture novels where they're completely benign and everybody's happy? All the humans are living these wonderful lives. They don't have to worry about anything. You know, the AI just takes care of everything for them and nobody ever questions it and it's all good, you know? Or is it the Terminator, right? So it's, <laughs> and it's only with science fiction that we allow ourselves to ask these questions and like actually explore like what the future could be. And we have to give in to horror, the horror genre, to allow ourselves to be honest when we answer those questions. So I think this is absolutely like it, this is the place where modern fiction is doing the most interesting things because it's actually stuff people care about and it's actually stuff that people want to know more about yeah and i think one of the the, the big things that's really remained as as far as a, a prominent feature in science fiction is just the way how it does kind of warn people and be like it could go this way where you know like how you're saying it could be very nice and pleasant or you know you could get that kind of like terminator uh kind of thing and uh with some of the stories it's like when you have the when, whenever i read a story and it has that like rich billionaire person or trillionaire or whatever that's on the expedition and you're like oh boy they're they somehow think that their their abundance of of money somehow translates to we give a fuck here on, on this spaceship, you know, it's just like, no, like your money's not good here anymore. And uh, one of the uh, things that I don't see too often, I'll, I'll see it more um, in, in films and video games, but I feel like it would be a really cool um, concept to explore more is the um, Kardashev scale. And if anybody's not familiar with those, those are just like different like power scaling. So. You have like a, a, I think it's like the level one uh, on the Kardashev is you fully harness your planet's energy. And then I think it's the sun's energy and then the solar system and then the galaxy and so sure. forth and so forth. Um, and so looking at that is like, if that is the direction humans went, it's very interesting to see how a lot of people are like, oh, well, I want to explore space and like, it'd be really cool if we went to all these places. And then it's like, you get the stories where it's like, you have these super rich people who it's just like, you have no idea what is going on out there. And it's like, we're trying to do our job and you're over here like flaunting your money. But it's like, in all actuality, you would need that really annoying, pompous asshole. Like if you wanted to like save like, we 
somehow we found some technology and we were like, oh, now we can go to the Andromeda galaxy and see if there's actually any life out there. Well, where's that money coming from? You know, <laughs> and then it's like, I feel like at that at that point in time, the way things are, it's like the the disparity <laughs> of how broke everyone is versus like those very like few rich people that would be fueling all these things. You know, it's like, is that where we would be, or would it be something where um, we, we've kind of just left money behind and it's just like, okay, like we got to figure out a different way to to do these kinds of things. So. And that, in that sense, that kind of part of sci-fi and horror is, is, is horrific in and of itself. Jarek, you, you're a gamer. Do you have you ever played the Hitman games? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love Hitman. One of my favorite video games of all time. Anyway, there is this level in Hitman. I won't spoil too much, but there's this level where it's a bunch of like super rich, just sociopaths hanging out, having a party on this island. <laughs> and they are trying to sell each other various concepts. Like, what about a dome in Antarctica? You could ride out climate change in, under your fantastic dome in Antarctica. And then there's somebody else who's, like, trying to sell real estate on Mars yeah. when there's not even, like, a base there yet. And uh, all these people, were like, have these like, really optimistic ideas about, like, you're rich, you can afford to get, you know, just go to Mars and have a life that you deserve while the rest like the rest of humanity suffers and dies back on earth and there's one character who just walks it walks through this and he's just like nodding quietly to himself and finally he says you do understand if we were to go to mars right now merely to survive on the most basic level would require us living under incredibly tight conditions of grime yeah. poverty and everyone would have to work together under the banner of just the most extreme form of communism just to breathe, yeah. just to <laughs> have a sip of water forever. <laughs> and, and like all these rich people, just like their the blood drains out of their faces and they're like, yeah, I got to go over there and get a drink. <laughs> yeah, but, I feel... Um going going back to like the idea um of like how money is needed to like explore everything i think that's why in a lot of um sci-fi space horror like there's always a corporation or company i mean an alien you know the company wants the creature brought back at the expense of humans uh in david's paradise one there's like the company um i won't spoil anything because it just came out <laughs> i'm sure people didn't manage to read it in three days like me but there is a, a large company involved and so and something's horrible is happening of course it's horror um and then like in some of the stories like we mentioned red rovers the tech billionaire wanting to go on a vacation and like um so i i feel like it in a way it's kind of already addressed a lot in science fiction horror um the dead space series the there's a company often trying to get the spire and trying like it's always the idea like some company is like trying to harness power beyond their beyond what they should be going for um so i feel like that plays into a lot of space horror and i love it i i use that a lot too and it's the idea i feel like people tie the idea of space travel with companies because it does take a lot of money but also the idea that these companies are probably going to 
be cropped or I mean because they're going to be run probably by people unless AI steps in and people just tend to have that ability to mess things up <laughs> or yeah. like to be overpowered by greed yeah it's like the whole it's like it's for for us it's just like it would be cool to go to another planet <laughs> you know as, as long as we knew that you know there there's no kind of like strange things that that could just completely tear us apart and mutilate us for us, it's just like, yeah, that kind of exploration is awesome. You know, it's like oceanographers when they go and they, like, they're finding all these new things. They're like, we found this new discovery. This is this giant octopus we've never seen before. And they're just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but there's then always, when you get there's always giant... one guy, There's always one guy on the sub who's like, hmm, I wonder if we uh, took the ink of this octopus, we could sell it to a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's always there's always that one that one person or group that's just like, we'll we'll go along, but don't tell them like, there's got to be something in it for us. It's like, well, you just can't go and and, and find some cool stuff and be like, that's cool, but no, we must profit off of this. And it's just like, it it, it, it kind of goes back to to how like money just kind of drives everything, and it's just like, well, how, what what makes you think that like if you went to another planet and you started colonizing it that whatever currency you have in earth would be the same as what you have there like what if the majority of those people were just like cool we're here thanks for getting us here money's irrelevant now and one of the books i, I had to look it up because for some reason i always forget the name of it um but ray bradbury's the the martian chronicles it's like where everybody is fleeing to mars and they're looking at what's happening to the planet and every single time that more spaceships come from Earth, and they're just talking about how bad it is there, and the the absolute collapse until there's just nothing left. And I feel like if we did get to the point where we're traveling to other planets or trying to colonize other moons, I feel like that's kind of like what would happen. <laughs> you know, it's like with climate change now, and however, you know, you got all these fires are are, are starting more often, and all these different earthquakes and tsunamis and everything, and and you get the scientists who are like. Can, can we can we stop doing these things? And then you have the rich companies that are like, well, will you give me in return? <laughs> it's just like, bro, like, I, I don't know, like a life for your great grandchildren. <laughs> I feel like you see that theme a lot in sci-fi horror. Like, I love the 40K novels. <laughs> and like just the 40K or sorry, Warhammer uh, 40k if people don't know it's set in the future and like in, I guess instead of the company it's the emperor um, the timeless emperor uh, that they pretty much worship but it is like a the human side of things is very much like this um, beast of industry where they're just like kind of eating up planets sorry I don't know why I was thinking about 40k all of a sudden <laughs> but yeah I feel like that theme kind of is like seen a lot in space war is like how humans would kind of mess it up with their greed or like how corporations might take over um and make things just as terrible like because you'd hope if we managed to get off this planet and colonize another that we could make it better but what are the chances people are actually going to be better than what we are already you know yeah i mean i think the common theme in science fiction is that we're just locusts we're yeah will go to the new planet and we will eat everything on that planet like we did on this one and then we just find another one the yeah. problem is people I, I think that a lot of people just in general society in 2023 
have this idea that if there were some massive catastrophe on Earth right now, some of us, you know, could just go to Mars yeah. and make it. We, we could survive. And that is like, it's not even a remote possibility right now. Mm-hmm. Look, we have never landed a human being on Mars. We even if we did the, the the Mars is the most dangerous place you can imagine. There's no air pressure. Uh, if you didn't have a suit, you would like yeah, you would die almost instantly. There's the, there's water on Mars we now know, but there's a lot of it, but it's all frozen. You have to go dig it out of the ground and then melt it and then strain it and get all the junk out of it. And even then, it's really acidic, and we have to have some way of getting around that. There's no magnetic field around Mars, so radiation from the sun is just blasting the surface of Mars all day long, which not only means if you're standing on the surface, you're going to get cancer, it also means that the ground itself is poisonous to the point where if you tried to grow things, like if you tried to grow potatoes in Martian soil, the potatoes would be poisonous to you if they even grew in the first place. Um, there are ways around all these things. Of course there are. You can fix all these things. Human ingenuity is amazing. We will eventually have people on Mars. I believe this. I believe that we will someday have an actual like colony on Mars. Just because it's so important to us as a, as a civilization. But it's going to take a ton of work. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Like the the recent stories about like say the the hundred degree water off of Florida, and like these endless wildfires, and even what just happened at Burning Man. Oh my God, uh, you know, we need to think about this stuff pretty seriously right now, and yeah. we're not. And the corporations get blamed for a lot of that, and rightly so. But you know, we all need to be thinking about these things a lot more than we are. And I think, again, this is like where science fiction comes in. I think science fiction, A, will give you a chilling glimpse of what is to come. And maybe that will spur you to like make changes in your own life. And, you know, not like you're recycling your plastic bottles is going to make a difference. But (laughs) you could, you know, vote for the right people. That might help. Not going to say which ones are right. I'm not going to go there, but um, yeah, we try to try not to go shoot yourself in the foot with that one. We get angry people calling into this podcast, like like it's a radio show, and people are going to call. Uh, We have a call on line one. (laughs) Hello, (laughs) hi, long time uh, listener, first time caller. (laughs) The thing is, you mentioned the the Kardashev scale, and it's like there is another possibility. There is the possibility that the future is bright. Like there is the possibility that we do manage to find ways to to create sustainable energy. Uh, That we do like eventually get to nuclear fusion, safe nuclear fusion, because right now what they're talking about is that safe. You know, if we can get to, if we had like solar power satellites, like if you put solar panels in space, they get all the damn sunlight. You put them on earth, they get sunlight some of the time if there are no clouds, if it's a nice day, if they're pointed the right direction, whatever. In space, solar panels can get all the sunlight. Then you have to find a way to get that energy back to Earth. That's the problem. But it's one we could solve. And then we would have limited, unlimited energy, basically for free. 
And that's when you start talking about the cargo shell scale. Because right now, you said level one was harnessing all the energy of the planet, and so on level two is the, the sun. Yeah, probably like a point three on that scale. <laughs> yeah, we're still at level zero right now. Yeah. We need to get to level one if we're going to make it through the next hundred years. I think. Um, but, you know, once you have unlimited energy for free, life changes completely. Almost everything about the way we live our lives is based on scarcity. It is this idea that you need to pay the power company if you want to have your lights burning at night. You have to pay for heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer, right? If those things are free and everybody can have them, if everybody in the world has equal access to these things, what does that do to our society? What does that do to the idea of humanity when we start like breaking down those hierarchies and we start thinking about what we can actually accomplish as a species rather than, you know, what is what is denied to us by all these like artificial divisions that we create about countries and races and religions and all these things. Anyway, I'm getting way too <laughs> I was going to say, this, this is the horror writer in me, but like, say, say the government or a company built those solar power um, uh, stations in space, what are the chances they would give it for free and not charge people for access? Well, the thing is, so there's this old idea, I think Larry Niven of all people, Larry Niven is a science fiction writer from way, way back in the day. Really nice guy, actually. I've met him a couple of times. He's, he's, he goes to conventions still. And he had this idea about what he called the water barbarian, water empire and the barbarian. And the water empire is the empire that has complete control over its people because it controls the water supply and it can turn it off at any time. So it's like the, the Mad Max kind of setting. Yes, yeah, so the, the president, whatever, king for life, whatever they are, can just say, you know what, uh, I'm unhappy with the way you guys were producing this this year you didn't make enough you know car parts so you don't get any more water and all those people die and there's nothing that society can do right you're at the whim of this emperor who yeah. can control your water and space or it's air right who controls the air supply mm -hmm. in uh, total recall right? yeah i was gonna say that <laughs> so and that's a really bad situation to be in if you are not the emperor. Yeah. Um, but Larry even said, but here's the thing, the more complex or the more tight the control gets, the less that empire needs soldiers and cops. Yeah. Like because they can enforce their edicts with a flip of a switch. What do they need to pay billions and billions of dollars to have a military for, right? What do they why do they need so many cops? So they start getting lax and they start like just, you know, assuming that they have this control and that no one will ever fight back because if they do, they just die. Yeah. And so Niven's idea was eventually you get to a point where one barbarian can come along and say, I don't care. Turn off my water. I don't care. And knock over the whole empire. Yeah. And because this, this water emperor is so believes in themselves as this ultimate power, they can't even envision this barbarian coming along and knocking everything over. Now, do you want to live in that empire the day after the barbarian knocks over the emperor? No. No, you do not. Because <laughs> un until somebody figures out where the pipes run, like, everybody's in trouble. 
But the thing is, like, this idea that one company or one country or one trillionaire control everything forever, it just doesn't make sense. Like, they're just, there's too much chaos in the universe. And eventually something's going to catch up. Now, that can lead to horrible conditions and, and, and horrible, like, problems when the revolution comes. But it's coming. Yep. <laughs> we like to think we control our lives. We like to control, think we control our world. And we just don't. And I think that's another thing that Space War can teach us is just, like, how little control we actually have over the universe. Yeah, I think that's kind of the... The, the two scary sides of, of science fiction and horror, you know, especially like when you're getting into those kind of like dystopian um, territories, you know, you start getting uh, into like the Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 or uh, the film Equilibrium, where it's like you, you do get that like one person that's like, hold on here. <laughs> let's let's reassess this. Like there are millions of us in like one or two of you. Like, why are we listening to you? You know, um, and then you get like the other the other side of sci-fi where it's sci-fi and horror where you have um, silly things like the Triffids, you know, and, the, and if, if anybody's not aware of that, um, it's, it's a, these carnivorous plants from space crash land and start to eat everyone and take them over. It's almost, it's almost like um, invasion of the body snatchers um, in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's why I like space horror. And why I feel that we need more of it, especially in the literary realm, um, because they're like, you know, there, there's a bunch of people that will say like, oh, well, you know, like, uh, you know, reading is a dying thing. And it's like, I, I feel like sometimes I can agree, but other times it's like, well, maybe it's just a dying thing because it's like people are fixated on such a small part or, or, or a few genres. And it's like, you have all these other genres to explore, you know? And and a lot of times when I talk to people and uh, they're just like, oh, well, you do like a podcast? Well, what's it about? And I'm like, it's mostly horror and, and science fiction and fantasy. And they're like, oh, I don't read any of that. And then they start telling me about movies that they watch. And I'm just like, that is, that is all of those. <laughs> and they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, like here, check out these books. And, you know, so it's like when you have um, something like uh, the novel that y'all, well, no, not novel, the, the anthology. <laughs> we had this discussion. The Darkness Beyond the Stars, out yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you have something like, like this, I feel like it's, it's a great segue for a lot of people to get into a genre that they might not even know that they love. Like the amount of people that, you know, I talk to and they like with uh, Netflix and uh, Hulu and Peacock and all the other channels that they have out there. And uh, they start talking about all these shows that they're watching. This is an excellent time to like give them this uh, anthology and be like, here, check this out. And then they can get into these kinds of uh, different scenarios that we're talking about. And I, th I think that's a, a very healthy way to start um boosting these kinds of discussions and and um, thought tanks and everything that, that people can enjoy a genre that they didn't even know that they were enjoying before. Like, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially when people really enjoy um, fantasy and all the different kinds of things that's out there. It's like, you can't have fantasy without science fiction and horror. And a lot of times you can't have horror without fantasy <laughs> because it's like, you need that 
you you need that push of not knowing what's out there because that's that's what makes everything scary and that's what propels the story along so um having an anthology like this i, th- I think if as as we keep going and we get more kinds of stories like this i think it's it's a very healthy thing absolutely and i think this is a great place to get on board like if you are a fan of dead space or the movie event horizon or you know sunshine or like any of these great movies video games etc and you're not like a big reader this is a great place to just jump in like this is these stories none of them are all that long they're not novellas these are 10 15 pages each right mm-hmm. yeah and they are utterly accessible like none of them none of them require you to learn the elf language none of them require you to like know how to com- compute a mass ratio algorithm whatever like this is um absolutely you can jump into any one of these stories have a blast and then hopefully you'll want to read another one guess what there's a bunch take your pick and if one of them isn't working for you for whatever reason you know you have no you have bad taste or something you <laughs> just flip to the next one um yeah this is a great place to get into reading science fiction or horror just because it's so accessible and i think plim has done an amazing job with this collection and i really recommend it to anybody mm-hmm. who's like vaguely interested in this subject you know? oh thank you um <laughs> i'll add to um so space horror itself is kind of um like almost a theme and then within that like with the in these 15 stories there's also like a wide range of horror subgenres like the weight of faith is weird horror and then you've got like a creature feature with the trochophone if i said that right <laughs> um you know plant horror uh there's you know tech horror there's machine horror so it it definitely has a wide range so i think people will find something that they'll like for sure and i will say if you're like oh but like sometimes i read sci-fi and i just get turned off by it's like too technical i would say i most of these stories run more soft sci-fi to them like they're not going to be overwhelming if you don't want to read too much about physics or anything like that these are all pretty like pretty soft sci-fi like they're a good way to ease yourself into the space horror genre they'll be gentle they'll take you out to dinner first although i will say you know if you're when you're ready for that the the vela remnant is just so good as far as yeah yeah i will i will say that's probably the hardest one that one deals with like the idea that um you know people believe dmt um did i say that right is that the right yes. order of letters? DMT, I'm like, <laughs> um, like opens your mind yeah. to like, you know, God to some people or other planes of existence. And David Warren just, um, if you haven't read him before, I, I've read quite a few. I've always been a fan of his writing. Uh, he just goes like, kind of like balls to the walls sometimes. <laughs> and he definitely does it in this story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of hard sci-fi out there, and I feel like that's 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 another thing too. I feel like a lot of people are very familiar with the larger 
um, categories. You know, like you have your horror, you have your fantasy, you have your um, uh, different kind of like romance. I don't, I don't know anything about romance novels or anything like that, but I, I guess that's it's like that soft core like or hardcore. Yeah, I guess. You know? <laughs> I yeah. don't know either. Because <laughs> I know a lot, of, a lot of people really love oh like, like the romance nice. stuff and everything. So, yeah. but going into like the subgenres, it's like that's where. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of get confused and it's just like, well, what do I like? And it's just like, well, this, this is a, a great starting point. It's like, if you do want to go to that, you know, harder sci-fi, it's like, yeah, like you could read things like um, The Expanse where it's like you, you're going three pages in of Dune. detail. <laughs> yeah, Dune. Dune with you know? its glossary. <laughs> Let, let's take these three to five pages to let you know how this engine operates in the color of the <laughs> flames and said atmosphere and how it depressurizes and travels through space and by the time you're you're done you're like what there's a story going on i totally forgot (laughs) this this is a weird segue but i love the inconsistencies um across the genre of how a human body would react if it was depressurized um because i've seen like i've seen space horror movies where like the the person just completely implodes And then there's other ones where they could make it, you know, and I just find it so interesting. And I myself don't know, like, what would what would actually happen to the human body? Oh, my God. I I have done so much. I was going to say, if anyone knows, it's David, because I know you do a lot of research. (laughs) But the the problem is that the answer, you're not going to like the answer. The answer is that all of those things are true sometimes. Like we, we, think of, we think of space as one big thing, right? We think of space as just this empty vacuum that is cold. Everybody thinks space is super cold. And if you look at the entire universe, on average, it is very cold. It is three degrees above absolute zero, which is, you can't get any colder than that, right? But... When you're close to a star, like say we are right now, it's very hot. If you if the atmosphere of the Earth wasn't there to protect you, you would be broiled right now by the heat of the sun. So, like when you're next to the International Space Station, you can either be in shade or in sun, right? You can be behind the International Space Station, so the sun is on the other side of it, and it's freezing cold where you are because you're not getting any sunlight. You can be on the other side in the sun, and if you took your helmet off, you would burn. You would just bake like a potato because you're getting all that sunlight and there's nothing like mediating it. So, yes, sometimes if you were flush out of an airlock, you would freeze to death. Sometimes you would bake. Sometimes you're, you know, it depends. Did you take a deep breath before you got flush out of the airlock? Rookie mistake. <laughs> you're thinking to yourself oh i'll take a deep breath so i can like hold my breath for three minutes and by that time another spaceship will come along and you know rescue me no what you want to do is empty your lungs right before you go out the airlock because if there's air inside your lungs when you get out into the vacuum that air is pressure that is going to try to get out and if it doesn't get out through your mouth, it gets out through your chest. Mm, so, yes. Literal chest buster. <laughs> okay, so the scene in Event Horizon with the kid in the airlock, accurate? 
No, of course. There's a there's a there's a bit in the expanse where somebody gets flushed out of an air like the TV show and you just watch them die like yes and they don't blow up and they don't freeze and whatever and it's pretty accurate for that one particular place in space mm-hmm. but a different place in space something really bad could have happened so yeah you can blow up you can not blow up you can implode you can not implode it really depends on so many other factors or the- if you're the guy in locked out by joseph andre thomas mm-hmm. <laughs> you survive <laughs> Oh, spoilers, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's in the first, like, page. <laughs> um, I get for... So I'm curious, um, and if there's any writers out there uh, looking to get in this face horror. So, uh, David, you do a lot of research. For uh, The Last Astronaut, you actually interviewed some real-life astronauts. I did. So how, how do you go about researching for your work? Uh, it's... You have to have a certain uh, pathology to you. You have to have a certain um, mental problem where you just love learning things. And this, I think, is one of the biggest things you need as a writer is this desperate need to know every little detail. And you can replace that with desperation. (laughs) You decide, I need to know every little detail because if I don't get them all right, somebody is going to read this and be all like what you said that the person would explode when they went out the airlock but that <laughs> wouldn't happen so um in my case it's, it's more of the former i love learning new things and i literally like there was a day i learned about uh double ledger accounting which is like a, a, a thing people used to do in bookkeeping and i realized oh my god there's nobody on earth I can talk to about this. But I knew that someday it would, because nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to hear about how accounting works, right? Even CPS <laughs> don't want to don't want to talk about it. Um, but someday this is going to end up in a book. Like I, this detail will end up in a book. So I'm constantly learning new things. Researching for a science fiction novel is a lot of reading scientific papers that I don't understand and then like reading the popular science version and then reading the angry comments to the popular science version. It's a lot of going back and forth. You always have to have at least two or three sources for any piece of information. And even then you're not not sure. Um, The crazy thing is the science fiction stuff, I get away with so much stuff that's wrong or slightly inaccurate or you know, pushed a little bit because science fiction fans know that you're never going to be 100% accurate. It's the horror fans that get on. (laughs) And I'll tell you what it is. It's guns. Mm, I wrote a book called 13 Bullets. And the reason why it's called 13 Bullets is because the character in the book carries a very specific Glock pistol that has a capacity of 13 bullets. Except, of course, for the person who wrote to me and said they would never buy another one of my books and they thought that I was the worst author who ever lived because everybody knows that this particular pistol can hold 14 bullets. And so in the sequel to that book, I actually put in a bit where I mentioned, well, if you have one in the chamber, you can have 14, but you know, smart people don't carry around in the chamber. So it's yep. 13. 
And somebody wrote me a letter and said, I can't believe that you said this in your book. I will never read another book. <laughs> Losing readers left, right, and center here. Passing you, this <laughs> magazine is 12 bullets. I don't actually care. I don't like guns. I'm not interested in guns. Whatever, if that's your hobby, enjoy. It's not my thing. I wanted to get it right for my book. That's all. What I found out is both of these people are passionate believers that they have this piece of information. They're completely contradictory to each other. And the official literature for from the Glock company says something else completely. <laughs> how How is it possible that nobody knows how many bullets actually fit in this god darn gun? <laughs> I still don't know to this day. But people will argue about it back and forth on internet forums all year long. And I could not believe, like, this is a book, by the way, this is a book that has a lesbian main character. <laughs> I was convinced, you know, because I have a sister who's gay and I just like, for whatever reason, this character was gay. And so I wrote her as gay and she is the main character of the book. She's my favorite character I've ever created, Laura Caxton. And I lived with her for many, many years, still put her in cameos in my books. Um... I have had agents, publishers, editors, everybody telling me, oh my God, you can't do that, man. Come on. Nobody's going to read this book. Nobody's going to read a book with a lesbian main character. Uh, like a realistic lesbian main character, right? Because she's not just, you know, she's not just a sex object. And everybody just got so down on me. I had one guy sit down with me and say, here's the data that I have that proves you'll sell 10 times as many books if you have a manly, macho, male, male main character who he's, a, he's tough as nails, he doesn't cry, and he, he loves his mom, but not too much, you know, that, that <laughs> stereotypical kind of standard guy stuff, you know. Now, yeah. <laughs> I wrote a comic book script once, and it was about a teenage boy who got superpowers and his like doubts and fears about what that means. And the main thing that came back from an editor was he's not macho enough. And I was just like, oh, come on. The thing is, no one has, no reader, no fan, no horror fan has ever written me an angry letter about my lesbian main character. Just no about the guns. <laughs> just the guns. <laughs> All these editors, publishers, agents telling me, you know, oh, lesbian main characters can't possibly sell books. That was my most successful book. Bless you, horror horror fans. We appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to come down too hard on the horror fans. They are great people. <laughs> the horror writers are the best. Uh, everybody thinks that we are like weird, like mentally ill, like violent, dangerous people. And it's like you actually go to a horror convention, and there's like somebody, there's like somebody, like you know, knitting a, a, a onesie for a baby, or like crocheting little ghosts. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Somebody made like pumpkin cookies and it's just, it is so homey and friendly and just like the sweetest bunch of people on earth. And then they're like, oh, do you know what it sounds like when somebody's eyeball pops? Yeah. <laughs> no, my next book. Oh, you know. And like, <laughs> That's so accurate though. <laughs> like, yeah, so I made you some homemade cookies. I'm like, did you know I actually Googled like how long it would take an entire body to freeze? It's like this many hours. Isn't that interesting? 
1001 <laughs> random facts about death be like does it look like you're the type of person that would write this horrible depraved kind of thing and it's just like what is what what are we supposed to look like, <laughs> like somebody somebody needs to take it for the the horror writing team and just start a blog where like a wiki blog maybe like where they they source out all these weird details and have like links to to prove it but like then we wouldn't have to be on the FBI's radar for like you know googling how many stabs does it take to kill somebody you know we could just have a wiki for it but somebody like needs FBI to do that already has a list like that they're like these are all the writer things if they come up we just know they're a writer yeah just pass it on pass it on references <laughs> but like you always hear those court cases oh yeah he was googling how to cover up a murder it's mm. like Oh man, all of us writers are going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of poison will kill you the quickest without leaving a trace? <laughs> and it's just, yeah. it's just like, okay. But yeah, I, I always thought it was it was it's pretty interesting. I mean, there there are always going to be um, smaller smaller voices um, in in any kind of genre writing or in general where it's like everybody is there just to enjoy it and then you have that those people that are like how dare you you know it's like you know it's like i i am sorry for anybody i don't, I don't i'm not really ashamed if anybody don't, doesn't want to listen to my podcast anymore but i own i own guns they sit on my shelf and every once in a while friends want to go hunting and you know have like a a, a nice cookout or something like that but how many bullets can they hold right but how many Be bullets accurate. can you hold and it's just like dude <laughs> like the amount of like the amount of movies that I've watched where it's like, especially like we like like the 80s movies where they're going into space and for some reason they have all this advanced technology, but they still just have, you know, they're not using plasma rifles or anything else. They're like, we just brought our guns, you know, <laughs> and they never once reload, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the, the, the trajectory is never messed up or anything. And, uh, you know, you're you're reading a story to enjoy it and unless it's something where it's presenting itself where everything is like super factual and everything's got to be like a hundred percent or nothing it's like dude, just just enjoy it <laughs> you know it's like why why worry about the, the the small things you know it's like oh well when one scene that door was open but now it's closed it's like you were like the the, the fourth person that has has noticed in that scene that, that i i have noticed weird things in movies before <laughs> don't at me like that i can't well, tell who i am well you literally said the thing about the door being open like this is so my wife and i have this thing where we are pretty good about this about just letting things slide and allowing po poetic uh, license and so on but there's one thing that just gets me and one thing that gets her and when it happens in a movie we just cannot enjoy the movie for like that scene for her it's if somebody gets stabbed or like shot with an arrow and then the immediate medical attention they get is to pull the knife or the arrow yeah. out mm -hmm. like that's going to heal the person to not have the thing stuck in them anymore and my wife is just like that person's going to bleed to death <laughs> <laughs> that knife was the only thing keeping the blood in. Yeah. And she just cannot watch that scene, right, without screaming at the, at the television screen. For me, if somebody walks into a room, especially, like, if it's cold outside or there's bugs or something, they walk into a room and they don't close the door behind them, 
Yeah. Like they're coming from outside into a room and they open the door and they don't close the door behind them. I can't watch what's going on on the screen. I'm looking at the damn door. <laughs> like somebody closed the damn door. Like my mother would have thrown a fit if you right. left the door open, especially in summer when the air conditioning was on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, what are you trying to pull off the whole neighborhood? What's wrong? <laughs> Mom, is that you? <laughs> and especially in a horror movie, like if you're being chased by a monster and like you get back to the safe house, but you leave the door open. I mean, you don't want to be rude and like slam the door in the monster's face. Like, <laughs> that's just rude. <laughs> anyway, the point is that I get that people enjoy things in different ways. Like there are people who are reading to like catch the little inconsistencies in the plot holes. And it's like the people who go to a magic show and they're like, oh, I saw there was a string. I saw that person was holding, holding the coin in their other hand. You know, that's a valid way to enjoy the thing. Right. It's not my way, typically, unless there's a door involved. But, you know, the, there are people who, that's how they enjoy something. I get it. And like, absolutely with science fiction, there there is a, a long history of science fiction fans who, will, who can do the math better than the science, the science fiction author could and will go through and say, oh, this wouldn't actually work because of, you know, Coulomb's law of constant centripetal action. And those are people who are enjoying a thing in their own way. I get it. Those people also tend to be really chill if there's a good reason. If, like, in The Expanse, there's a scene where the pilot does, like, this tricky series of maneuvers and they slingshot around Europa to get to Ganymede faster and then they're going to get there ahead of the other ship and they use Jupiter's gravity as an assist for this whole thing. And the authors, uh, it's two guys who write The Expanse, and, and they're both really nice guys, I met them. Um, they... One of them is like really good at the math stuff, and one of them is more like cultural anthropology sort of stuff, um, which is why they made such an incredibly realistic world. Uh, but the guy who does the math had worked out this trajectory of slingshotting around Europa and using Jupiter's gravity and so on. And he said, Yeah, no, this is it's an amazing uh, trick of piloting that this guy pulls off, especially because it would take six months to do it. Uh, he's like, you know, it, 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 those things are so far apart. Europa, Jupiter, Io, all these moons, they're so far apart. Like, even with the, the engines in the expanse, it would take six months to, to get around Jupiter. And, and he's like, in the book, it takes six seconds. And they, the two of the two authors had a big argument about whether they should do that. And they finally said, it's cooler if it takes six seconds. And so that's the way they wrote the book. And I, I think most science fiction fans are, are absolutely chill with that if it makes for something exciting and fun. Yeah, it's that, it's that key suspension of, of, of disbelief. I mean, especially when, you know, you, not everyone is going to know those complex <laughs> mathematical equations to be like, actually, <laughs> you know, there's always that one person in the comment section that's like, that'll, that'll bring that up. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like I think like the the inconsistencies, especially a lot of times when you're, you know, again, when you when you understand what you're watching and the medium, um, like for instance, in in one of the Star Wars films, I think it was the second one where they're in the arena, or maybe it's a, the third one. I can't remember. Um, 
where they're in the arena and they're fighting all the different creatures. And uh, Padme jumps down and she gets, she's in one outfit and she gets slashed by this creature. And then in the very next scene, she's in like a, a halter top. <laughs> it's just like somehow it has changed her entire outfit. And that I, I feel like for, for a lot of Star Wars fans, like that's one of those scenes where it's like some people are like, oh, they can't do that. That's such a big inconsistency. And it's like the whole other group is like, you're talking about a whole bunch of people in some far off galaxy that have mind control abilities and are using swords that if they existed as soon as you turn them on everyone in the room would die so it's like <laughs> you kind of gotta like weigh the the pros and cons of things you know there's actually in the in the third episode of ahsoka that just came out they answered a question i've had for a long time which is how what is your first lesson with a lightsaber like when you pick up the lightsaber for the first time when you're six years old, whatever, what do they do? Because you're gonna cut your fingers off, <laughs> you're gonna cut your leg off real easy. Yeah. It turns out that they they have wooden swords that they practice with, and it was like, oh no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> you don't start with a lightsaber, right? Despite the fact <laughs> in the movie they show the younglings with with their lightsabers, I'm like, oh my god, those are seven year olds. You can't. <laughs> Well, see, before they were six, and that's when they were using the sword. Yeah, but when you turn seven, that's when you get the lightsaber. <laughs> Since we're running up on time here, um, so one of one of the things that I like to do um, before we get into the different kinds of plugs and everything for for the guests that are on here. Um, and David, since you have not been on this show before, one of the things that I always ask guests is if someone was going to get into um, writing horror or science fiction in either a serious sense like we were talking about or all the way to like the most like bizarre and silly kind of goofy stuff what is a piece of advice that you would want to to share with everyone oh my god this i ask this question a lot and i always have a different answer because i have so many of them um we just have to get David Wellington's book of sci-fi yeah. answers. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is, I think that in the end, any advice I'm going to give you, either you're not going to listen to, which is a good thing, or um, you're going to take it way too seriously and get uh, and make mistakes. But the making mistakes is, is kind of the, an important part of the process. the The trick, of course, is you just keep writing. Like you don't stop. It's very easy to stop writing and that's like the big mistake <laughs> like you gotta do it all the time you gotta do it a lot you got it the the most painful thing in the world is to create something that you love and you think is beautiful and you know no one else is ever gonna see it or read it or look at it ever and you can tell yourself oh maybe in a thousand years i'll get rediscovered or maybe you know uh maybe my girlfriend aunt chiropractor will read this and, and enjoy it you gotta start writing for yourself you gotta start writing for your own pleasure your own fun and you have to get used to the idea of toiling in anonymity for a long time then when you think you're good when you think you've done something that's worth it you then have to flip-flop 
and show everybody what you <laughs> which is a hundred times more terrifying it is a hundred more hundred times more terrifying to put yourself out there for other people's judgment and criticism but you have to do it so the piece of advice is don't stop writing and when you're ready show everybody what you've done and listen to what they say and then don't stop writing after you hear what they say some some sound advice but especially just like i i think a lot of people get really trapped in their head about you know like oh like you know what are people going to think and no one's going to read this and it's like only you know only 30 people are going to read this it's like have you ever been in a room just with like 30 people staring at you <laughs> like that's it might not seem like a lot but that's a lot of people you know uh i, I think uh social media kind of has like a, a a strange hold on people sometimes where it's just like oh if i don't get ten thousand likes and you know forty thousand views on this i'm not worth anything and it's like no like every you have to start out small you know so um and i think especially doing things um where you're submitting to a lot of anthologies and you're you're mixed in with a lot of other people again you know it's um it's the the sense of you're you're not just writing for like one anthology like write for write for several and then um people people will get the idea of, of what you're working on and they'll either like it or they won't but i feel like that's how you get a lot of your your base readers there so but uh i guess this is the the part of the show where for both of you plum and david uh where we talk about either things that you're excited about or things that you want to plug and where people can find you on the vast web of the internet can i stop you for one second sure now i want to ask Plim the same question oh oh no i thought Ooh, i escaped okay. it <laughs> turning the table here. i was yeah. like dodging it i was like what? <laughs> no because i'm actually curious about this i you know i've submitted to ten thousand anthologies in my time on this earth now that i'm 900 years old but um <laughs> i've been rejected by tons of them and occasionally made a sale and it's the best feeling in the world when you make a sale but like as an editor what is your piece of advice for people who are writing short stories and they want to get in one of your collections um i think i've never been asked this as an editor before oh god <laughs> <laughs> i think um it ties into what uh your advice was is that you should write a story that you want to read I mean, for me as an editor, that's why I wanted a space horror anthology. Um, and the stories I picked, uh, it was because they were, I mean, the stories themselves are very unique and you can tell it's the writer's vision of what they feel space horror is. And that's what made the stories so much fun. Um, I think a lot of people can get caught up in, they call it writing the market where they're just like, oh, the trend now is werewolves. I should write a werewolf story. And I just don't think that's very fun. And it, I mean, I I actually am the type of reader who tends to avoid trends. Like I read the first The Girl book where it was like the girl on the train or something. <laughs> and then everyone was writing the girl blank, blank, blank. And I just didn't read any of them. because so I was like, those are gonna be all the same. Um, so I feel like as a writer, just write what you want to write and what makes you happy. 
And I think in that way, your voice and your authenticity will show, and that's what makes for a good story. And if you're writing for an underwater themed, like a sea themed, stop writing about mermaids. My God, <laughs> we've got enough mermaids. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping notes over here. So, okay, no mermaids. No mermaids, unless they're in space. If it was a space mermaid, that would be amazing. <laughs> werewolves, super, super hot right now, werewolves. Yeah. Well, what if I don't it know was if like a werewolf right mermaid? Now. Okay, that maybe. <laughs> that see that's unique if you put right. a unique spin on it then the woman definitely. who is a werewolf mermaid <laughs> in the window whenever <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a full moon <laughs> if you grow a fishtail but the human half is actually a wolf half there you go yeah there just a very <laughs> so is the yeah. bottom half is like is it like a like a like a it's got like crab claws on it or something. That would be amazing. It's just though. like a werewolf, already, like crab already... claws and a and a fin or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's already like a brilliant idea. Yeah, and then put it on a distant planet. Yep. There you go. Done. <laughs> done and done. Published. Yeah. So, so somebody was listening. Get it out there. Making <laughs> notes. <laughs> but give but give give us all credit. Yeah. <laughs> Name all the characters time. after us. <laughs> All right. So where where can uh, where can we find y'all and uh, what what kind of stuff do you want to plug? What are you guys excited for is coming up? I'll go first. So I'm PL McMillan. Uh, you can find me at plmcmillan.com or I'm at author PLM. Um, I have a podcast, the Dead Languages podcast, that I co-host with Carson Winner. And I obviously want to plug The Darkness Beyond the Stars, which is out now. Uh, you can pick it up. It's available in paperback and ebook. It's got 15 amazing tales of space and terror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm David Wellington. I'm at davidwellington.net. That is not a particularly interesting website. It basically says, <laughs> is an author. Here's his latest book. Speaking of which, my latest book is called Paradise One. It's Paradise Dash One. And uh, it's available wherever fine books are sold. You can get it, I think, as an audiobook, Kindle. You know, I think there's a Braille version, but I'm not sure about that. And uh, there's a sequel coming soon. Yeah, when? I want it now. <laughs> Put it yeah. in the uh, time machine that, that you secretly have. Being <laughs> edited, so it's not going to come out next week. But it, it, <laughs> The Paradise One, and uh, before that was The Last Astronaut, which is was uh, shortlisted for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. They are both uh, stories of science fiction horror, and I am quite proud of them, and I hope that people will check them out. Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter, or X, it's still twitter.com. My handle is at lasttrilobite, which, yeah, you'll just have to figure out how that's spelled. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Twitter is falling apart at this point. I theoretically have a Facebook page. Don't go there because I'm not going to see your comment. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, y'all, for coming out today and having a discussion about the darkness beyond the stars. And uh, we look forward to seeing more from both of you. Yeah, and thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Generic Podcast. Make sure to share and rate this show where possible. I always leave 
different questions for people if they want to go ahead and answer those. Some of those will impact future episodes, uh, including guests and different topics that I'll be talking about. You can also leave voicemails now if you go through uh, anchor.fm or um, if you're checking the podcast out on Spotify. Uh, So go ahead, leave some voicemails. Let me know what you think about the show. Uh, If you want to have your voice heard on the show, uh, just let me know. You can also find me at generic.substack.com now. So go ahead and sign up over there for more inside scoop info on what's going on with the show. You can also find me at generic on Instagram and TikTok. And you can also email me at generic at gmail.com. You can also find this show at the generic podcast underscore between each word. And until next time, y'all keep being amazing people. Y'all are. Pure evil.